0: Welcome to Hillside Community Church's weekly podcast. We're glad that you've chosen to listen to this week's message and hope that it ministers to you today. Hillside's located in Keller, Texas, and if you would like to know more about us or to listen to previous recordings, please visit us at yourhillside.com. And now, this week's message. I think I remember how to do this. I think I do. Well, every week we gather together. We... The church has done it uh, since Christ, and it's an, one of the essential parts of being together, is worshiping. And today, I just, we want the service to be a reminder of the importance of the things that we do, uh, and why we should be actively engaged, especially in the worship. Uh, we want to be a, we, we, we want to we want to elevate our worship as a body. Uh, and catch ourselves when we're just sort of going through the motions. Uh, I do think that worship is vital to our spiritual lives. And it's it's worth being on time for. It's worth being here maybe once more than once or twice a month for. But we have to sometimes be reminded of its importance. So today we're concluding a series on Psalms, which is the ultimate worship book. It was the worship book for Israel. It was the worship book for Jesus. And it was the worship book for the early church. And there's no better way to end a series on Psalms than at the end of Psalms. And so we're going to go to the end of Psalms. If, you, if you've ever, I know you have, when you go to a firework show, when you go to a firework show, you, you sort of settle in, you relax, you know, there's going to be some there's, some, there's going to be some great moments. There's going to be some magic, magical and colorful moments. But when you get to the end, you know, you're near the end because the pace picks up the intensity picks up and then there's a grand finale that's how psalms is written that's how it was edited it's magical and colorful all the way through but it ends it's it's ending builds and then there's a grand finale so this is the way psalms is divided up it's divided up into five books so you can see the way they're divided up, all those psalms. Now, when you get to the end, when you get to the last section, there's basically five chapters that, are, that stand out unique, the last five chapters. Uh, and this is where you know you're at the end and the intensity is starting to build. So you almost have within the worship book a sort of act of worship and a crescendo and a building right within the text itself. And you can tell it. The language in everything says it. Because in these books here, you can see when you get to end of the sections, the terms that are used mostly are blessed and amen. And they go together. And they end most of these sections, those terms. When you get to the last five chapters, something happens. The word hallelujah comes in. And it comes in at the beginning and the ending of each chapter, all four of them. So there's four chapters the last four will have this sort of beginning and end where it says praise to the Lord. And that's hallelujah. But then the last chapter, Psalm 150, has hallelujah written 13 times. So you can see we're near the end. It's starting to build. And then it crescendos in the last Psalm. And I got to tell you, I looked at Psalm 150 and I go, I've never preached a sermon on Psalm 150. And by the way, couldn't find one. Not a whole lot of people are preaching on Psalm 150. You could go see people do series and series after Psalms. 150 gets left out. But editorially, there's something significant going on at the end of Psalms that we might miss. We could miss. So, I mean, he says hallelujah 13 times. It literally starts every sentence in the last chapter. He hardly says two words before the words hallelujah come out of his mouth. So, uh, what's that saying? What did, the, what did the guy who put Psalms together for us want us to understand? What, it, what was God's intention in having it there? Well, it says something very powerful about God, says something very powerful about us. Uh, the sense of ending is building. And the five hallelujah Psalms Sort of take all of the great acts and beauty that have been through all the rest of the Psalms and they put them all together and they talk about God's salvation and his creation, his providence and his care and they put it on final display. As if to say, don't just make God an object of your study. He is to be worshipped. He is to be worshipped, all right? And not only that, you know, after a fireworks show, you clap your hands, you go home, a little smoke, and you forget it. I don't mean you smoke; I mean there's smoke in the clouds. <laughs> I don't know what happens on the Fourth of July in some places. I'm just saying. So there's what it, what he's saying is that's. That's not just the end of the book. That's the end of all reality when everyone sees God for who he really is and responds appropriately. They won't be able to help themselves in response is what he's saying. So that's the ultimate, the terminus of all things. It's God in his rightful place and us as human beings in our rightful place. Now, I know what you're thinking. you think, well, you know, be honest with you, Pete, singing isn't, isn't my thing. Totally get that. Uh, but I want you to know, this is the kind of singing that has nothing to do with whether you like singing or not. You know, one of these days in Revelation 3 and 4, speaking of the end, we will all be standing around a throne and a lion and a lamb are going yeah, <laughs> to be there together. The lion and the lamb himself. And every single tribe, tongue, nation is going to sing. Whether, and no one's going to be going... I'm not big on singing. I don't do a lot of singing. Nobody wants to hear me. It's not something you decide. It's, it's something you can't help but do. It's just something you cannot help but do. It's a response, and that's what the psalmist is saying. It's the end of your life. It's the end of everything. is to see God for who he is and to respond appropriately. So for us, it means if praise is the end, then, listen, then we know our ultimate end. We know where we are headed. We are heading to a reality where God rules everything and we respond in worship to him. That is the purpose of our lives. Now, listen to something Eugene Peterson says. He says, if praise is the end, then we know our ultimate end, it becomes the goal that shapes the journey. You say... Why is the end of Psalms written that way? Why is that the end of all realities? It's the goal of every single one of our journeys. The end is where we start from. So if we know that that's our end, how do we back up to where we are and live with that purpose? So he says it becomes the goal that shapes the journey. It's the end of where we start from. The end begins to shape our lives now. It's what we were made for. So it means it doesn't matter what you do. For a living, doesn't matter what you do in your life, doesn't matter what you possess or what you have or accumulate, and it doesn't matter what you're going through, because all the Psalms have said it doesn't matter where you are, what you have, what you do, or what you're going through, the end of all of it is to worship God, that's the end of all of it. If you make anything else the end, here's what the psalm's screaming loudly, if you make anything else other than God being supreme in your life, you'll disintegrate in every possible way, socially, morally, spiritually, in every other way, you'll disintegrate. If he's not the ultimate end of every single thing you do, all you have, and even all you're going through, do you see him as the end? Nothing else can be the end. And when it is, it'll devastate you when you make anything else ultimate besides him. So Peterson says, start your future now. Start putting him at the ultimate and supreme place in your life now, in and through everything you're experiencing. That's what the Psalms are about. In fact, uh, one of my, one of the lines he has in here, in his book, is our most, he says, praise, our praise and prayer, which he kind of mixes together, are our most praise, our most intense and interior act of futurity. You are never more like what your ultimate end was always designed to be than when you are worshiping. When you bring that internally to you, you are already now acting as if you've arrived in ultimate reality. That's the idea. It's just, it's profound. So, Psalm 150, which you can see together, you can see this praise, this crescendo of praise in here, has a couple of things for us to tell. And I want to just say this unique Psalm, which you don't hear much about, has the what, where, why, how, and who. worship. And the first verse, very simple. Here it is. First, it starts off with praise the Lord. That's the beginning. And then it says praise him again. Praise God in the sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heaven. So what is worship first? What is it? Well, that comes in the word praise the Lord, which means hallelujah. Hallelujah. is two Hebrew words together. Hallelujah and Hebrew is uh, really to boast. To lift up. So when you verbalize and it's it's expressed, it's sung. Look at Psalm. Look at the last five psalms. You will sing ver, uh, all these statements about singing. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly. Then he says in uh, forty-seven, for it is good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant. And a song of praise is fitting. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. So whatever this hallelujah is, and then the ya on the end of it is short for Yahweh, personal and relational God. So it is the expression of God. It is singing and boasting about who God is. It's, that's literally what worship is. It's the most, it's probably... The most significant word for praise in the Hebrew scriptures is hallelujah. Because you're boasting. See, this is the time when we come together when you know some t- something in your life got into first place this week. Something in your life got into first place. And when we come here this morning, we're reminded together when we, we boast, we put him back there together. That's what we're doing when we gather Let's put him back in first place in our life. Nothing we have, nothing we're doing, and nothing we're going through is more important than him in his rightful place. Because the rest of it would disintegrate if, if, it's, if that's not the case. So that's the what, then the where, look at what it says, secondly, in his sanctuary and in his mighty heavens. So wherever God is, and here's sort of the earthly sanctuary where we are now, where we gather together, and then there's the mighty heavens. So wherever there's a group gathered, whether here or there, it doesn't matter. So I love the idea that here on earth where I'm at, and then if I'm in heaven, the same thing is happening because God is, is ultimate in all realities, In all places, it doesn't matter where I am or or what I'm, It, it doesn't matter. So whether I'm here, so this is a perfect picture of one of these days I'll be there and when I get there, I'll be doing the same thing I'm doing here. So again, he's putting it all together and saying, where you gather now, do what you're going to be doing there with your whole life. Make him the end of everything. In those places. So start doing what you're destined to do and be is the idea. So all roads now here's the thing about it, I have this book down here. Don't try to follow me with the camera, you I don't want to hurt you or anything. Eugene Peterson says this. I think you'll find this valuable says, you know, when we gather together to do that, when we gather in the place to boast about him, here's what he writes. None of us know everyone in this room. None of us know what the others are experiencing at any given moment. We don't know what temptations have come your way. We don't know what trials. We don't know what joys you're experiencing. We don't know what sorrows you're experiencing. We don't know what ecstasy and grace you might be experiencing or what boredom or what sin you might be doing. But it is God's will that none of us do any of them alone. How can we pray accurately or praise accurately for, for and harmoniously with the other members of God's people? Through song. Through song, we remind each other. When I hear you saying it and I hear us singing it, I'm reminded of who ought to be first. The song establishes all the members of the congregation in organic relationships. The Christian recovers a sense of community and experiences the dynamics of community, not through the categories of sociology, but through the music of liturgy, through the worship. I loved that reality. So again, think about the picture of Psalms and the end ultimate reality. Every single one of us are on a journey, we're all on different journeys. Right now, even now, we're all on different journeys. But one day, we'll all be in the same spot, worshiping God. Once a week, we gather together as if to say, let's act like it's over. (laughs) Let's act like it's all done, and live and act and sing together, just like we're gonna do in the future. Because sometimes on this journey, we get a little bit lost. But here's the beauty of this moment. And this beauty here, it doesn't matter. What's going on in our lives, we're reminded that we're not lost when we put him first, no matter what's happening in our lives. When we gather together and put him first, you're not lost. And I'll tell you the second thing, you're not. And don't ever think you are. You're not alone. There's a lot of us walking this hard journey. There's a lot of us hitting bumps in the roads. There's a lot of us devastated sometimes. There's a lot of us that feel guilty. There's a lot of us that feel depressed. There's a lot of us that are hurting. There's a lot of us that are experiencing great, God's doing great things in and through us. We all come together. There's that one moment when it doesn't matter what road you're on, we're at the same spot where we will ultimately be. And we're not alone. That's why that's why in the New Testament, you have Paul saying things like, man, you've you got to sing together. The Spirit produces singing because you, you're reminding each other, instructing each other, communicating with each other, identifying with each other. That's what the singing does. That's why you do have to open your mouth, join in on that picture, and remind everyone in this room. And of course, singing because of that has a healing effect. And you say, uh, Why are we worshiping? Praise him. Here it is again. For his mighty deeds. This is the summary. Mighty deeds and excellent greatness because of who he is and what he's done. So he just says, Just take everything I've said up to now about God in 149 chapters and go through Psalms and look at all the different pictures of God. I'll give you one of my favorites. Psalm 39 has a picture of God as a moth that will eat away anything you put before him. Maybe God's eaten at something you have right now, and that's because you've put it first. And if you put it first, this king of the universe, this supreme one, is going to act like a moth, and you can't use mothballs against him. There's no defense. He'll start eating away at the thing you think's most important. That's one picture. She's powerful. She says all his mighty deeds. So the gathered community looks at all that God has is and done and collectively boasts in all of it. That's what we're doing when we sing. We're boasting in all that he has done and all that he's made possible. Especially for what he's done because this would certainly have been, if we could, since we're uh, uh, the church and past the Old Testament... Certainly, what more mighty deed did he, did he do than what he did in Christ? And redeeming, loving, and forgiving, transforming our lives. And because of it, we can live fearlessly and hopefully because of what he's done. That's why we praise him, for who he is and what he's done. Now, with that said, let me, uh, I guess, take my part in inserting something here that I think is important as we think about the events that have happened in our culture, especially in Virginia. I've jotted down a few thoughts that I want to say about this as it relates to what we're saying here. That anyone could look at another human being and based on skin color or language or place of origin and judge him inferior Is to me indescribable and despicable horror. No matter where you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what you look like, you were created by God, and whether you know it or not, you are loved by it. you are loved by Him. And for the record, for our church especially there's absolutely no place for racism or hatred or bigotry where Christ has demolished those distinctions at the cross demolished those distinctions no gender's inferior to you no color no language no location Because of what Christ has done at the cross. And I want to add this. It's not church's job just to call out the sin of the culture. We love to do that. We love to identify wrong when we see it. And of course, that needs to happen. But the church is called uniquely to do two things different than everyone else in the world. Different. One, you are to live out that truth. You can say you're not a racist all day. You can say there's no hate in your heart all day. You can say you're not a bigot all day. Live it out every day with the people you interact with. And then you're doing it. And the church uniquely together forms a body of people. And Christianity may be the most diverse of all the religions in the world. It is a universal message. When we come together, all of those issues, when we're singing together, gender's gone. Just in those moments. Doesn't mean we're not different. I'm not getting there. I'm just saying, in those moments, gender doesn't matter. Color doesn't matter. Our social uh, standing doesn't matter. It all comes right together. And in Christ, we are equal in that regard. And so we live it out together in unity with one another, with people who are different from us. Then you're really living it out. And we, as we're going to see in a couple of weeks, or where the church ought, to, or where the world ought to look for how the diverse unite, ought to be right here. It ought to be right here. And then the second thing is. So we got to model it. We can't just be yelling. We love to yell about stuff. You got to model it. And the second thing is, is you got to steward the good news. In the face of the worst kinds of evil, we don't give up hope. It's never hopeless. Even though I've had moments of watching video and pictures and thinking to myself, what kind of person? And I'm just thinking, is there any hope? And here's the answer to that question. You better believe there is. You better believe there is. Christ can save you. From racism. He can save you from hatred and save you from bigotry. And when you trust in Him for what He has done, that's the hope of the gospel. He will, forget, he will forgive your pride and arrogance. He will enlighten your mind about what is real, what is true. And He will replace your hatred with love. That's what he can do. That's why we're hopeful. That's why we don't look at any human being and only despise what they're doing. You don't look at any human being and only despise what they're doing. In that moment, immediately, as a a steward of the gospel, as a recipient of God's grace, immediately you think there's hope for the worst person I've ever seen or met. There's hope for the worst person I've ever seen or met. And if you've lost that hope, you've lost the essential nature of the gospel. If the likes of you and me can be redeemed by God, who couldn't come to him? Who couldn't come to him? So we have to keep that hope on display. Now, quickly... Lord, because we're going to sing again. We're going to we're going to do this. Okay, uh, so let's do this fast. And here it is: uh, verses three through five are the are the uh, how. How are we doing this? Well, he says, praise him with the trumpet sound, praise him with the lute and the harp, praise him with the tambourine and dance, praise him with strings and pipe, praise him with the sounding of cymbals, praise him with loud clashing. And I wanted you to see these words right here because according to this text, it's make some noise. Make some noise about who we are honoring. That's what the text is saying. And you can do it lots of different ways because some of us in here don't like guitars, and some of us in here don't like drums. And some of us like it loud. That's actually in the text. And some of us really like it soft. I live with a guitar player and a drummer. They're both awesome. But sometimes the drums by itself just feels like the walls are caving in on you. And every once in a while, you know, you, you, you go to the side of the house where the guitar's playing. I know. All I'm saying is it's take everything you have in your hands. Look, tambourine and dance. If you can, if you can blow into it, if you can beat on it, if you can strum it, use it to glorify God. That's what he's saying. Use it to glorify God. That's what he is saying. And then I love this. I didn't know most of us, like for us are sort of conservatives. We don't know what to do with the word dance. We don't know what to do with it. And i got to tell you, I don't know what to do with it except to say that uh, you know, I've looked at a couple of words in Hebrew for, for dance and what's going on here. I would say for our purposes, this is a little bit more like uh, you want to say, um, like, what, like in the movie Hitch. Don't be making pizzas, Q-tip stuff. Just keep it right here like Will said. Just keep it right here. All right? Keep it right here or you're going to get slapped by somebody. Just keep it right here. You know, we're not doing stanky leg in worship. (laughs) All right? It's not about fads and and looking flamboyant to people. This is that kind of. All right. Uh, Finally, (laughs) let everything that has breath. Now, this is a great, great statement. It's a great statement. All I want to say about it is this. This is not just for the talented. If you're breathing, you should be able to do this. Okay? This is is not about certain personality types. You breathing, you should be able to praise God. If you're breathing. Because here's the point of this text. Breath is the essence of your existence. This comes full circle to the whole point that we started with in Psalms. The most natural, instinctive, and basic The thing that you do in life is breathe. And what the psalmist is saying here is that just, you don't breathe just so you can live. You breathe so you can praise. That's what he's saying. More important than you being alive with your breath is that you praise him with your breath. Because that's the ultimate end. And you're doing now what you're ultimately going to be doing. So it's come full circle. Peterson writes like the notes of music that anticipate melodic completion by notes yet to come. Prayer and praise has the element of futurity always in it, pulling us to the region of completion, the region of glory and praise. The future is not blank. This is a great statement. You're you say what's going to happen in the future? Well, when you sing that's what's going to happen in the future. When you praise him, that's what's ultimately going to happen. You're already doing the future when you praise him. I love that line. So our lives are still outstanding, but our praise brings the future into our present. Ah, so good.